Okay, so I thought just to, to lay the groundwork in terms of our discussions uh, today, um, I would just sort of set this out. So forgive me if this is, if this is um, uh, very familiar to you, but I thought it was, it's just helpful to, to make sure, first of all, from a terminology point of view, as well as, um, as, as in terms of, of, of how the, the curriculum has, has developed, to make sure that everybody is on the same page. And, um, and if you think I'm not reflecting this correctly, because um, this, these, there's many moving parts, then please interrupt me as well. But I thought that from, from the point of view of what we're talking about today, we have um, this kind of uh, progression of things that we deal with, um, and it's not always a, a progression in the education space in, in the actual society. And some of this is particularly unique to how, how we deal with it when we compare ourselves with, um, with other professional bodies. So the way I'm, I'm thinking of it is that the curriculum is kind of the, the outline of, this, of the subjects that, we, that we're covering, right? So it's, a, it's more high level, whereas the syllabus is then per subject we get into what the detail of what we're actually covering in um, in each subject. And perhaps just for today's discussion, because sometimes we use those words interchangeably, it might be helpful if, we, if we're thinking of it from that perspective. And then alongside that goes the tuition, which is when we are providing um, some kind of support in terms of students engaging with the syllabus. Um, and that tuition can obviously be in the form of face-to-face um, of -face tuition, but it also includes things like the notes and other support mechanisms. And then we have the assessment, which is the examination process, the way in which we um, conduct the exams, as well as the, the structure and the nature of the exams themselves. And all of that leads to our qualification or designation structure, which is what I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, today as well. So is everyone comfortable with that as kind of like the terminology that we will be referring to um, uh, today. I, I get particularly concerned about the curriculum and the syllabus thing, you know, that we, that we, that we talk at the right level when we're talking curriculum versus um, um, syllabus. So the, the curriculum is, is kind of, you know, the, the order of the subjects. So, the, the, you know, if we have... If we have yes, and then the syllabus is kind of the content of that subject. Does that make sense? Excellent. Okay, so hopefully from a, um, particularly from a, our, our teaching approach, we're moving away from that traditional approach. I almost wanted to, to try and find a, a picture of Prof Boyd because that's my memory of him. <laughs> a whole board full of, of, um, of formulae that I was several steps behind on. But, um, but I guess that's our, that's our challenge, is that, um, is that our traditional approach of, of conveying and, and getting students to grasp and in themselves be able to then um, convey technical um, concepts that we, we need to be thinking of new ways um, to do that. And, and that's why I guess our, our, starting, our starting point in terms of the presentations will be, will be Dale's um, presentation addressing that. So I, I took these slides from the um, education um, sessionals that we had at the beginning of, of last year and just update them a bit. And this, I guess, is another terminology thing in terms of our qualifications versus our designations. So, I mean, we talk about the, the qualification being um, following the, the, the completion of our exam process. So once you've worked through the curriculum and addressed all the syllabus objectives and passed all the assessments, 
um, then, then you, you reach the point of having um, a qualification. And because we have um, a registered designations, we're actually able to use that as a, as a, as a designation. So it goes that the point about a designation is that it goes beyond just the fact that you've completed something and now you move on, that you, with a designation, it suggests that you're continuing to participate in terms of, of ongoing learning. So that's where the continuing professional development comes, as opposed to you know, once you have your BSc, you have that qualification, you frame it and it's on the wall. Obviously, you have a little bit of affiliation back to your alumni or not. I mean, maybe you feel quite sad about your university. I don't, Steve, I don't. Um, but, um, but whereas with your, with your FASA, then you have an ongoing relationship with that professional body. So in terms of our designations, um, our, our ladder now includes the, the TASA, which we have um, formally um, registered. Am I right, Conrad, that it's a formally registered designation? So, um, so we have the, the TASA and the SERA and the AMASA and the FASA as all of our um, formally registered um, designations. And so it is becoming a little bit of an alphabet soup. Um, and, um, and, and I guess that's part of what uh, I wanted to kind of lay out in this, um, in this discussion as to how, um, how, 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 how much wider should we be um, casting that net. Because um, we, still have an, uh, we still have on the, on the radar um, is, is some of the other, the other designations that are, are floating around um, um, internationally. So at the moment, um, we have the new curriculum, so here we have the subjects leading to our, um, our various designations and, um, and one of the strategies that we have been um, adopting uh, in the actuarial society is to try and, and promote the um, AMASA or the associate level um, designation and, and, that, and that people see that as a potential end point. So, um, so, so th those are the kind of initiatives of saying, for example, that it's, it's compulsory for people to, to, get it, to get the AMASA at the point at which they are eligible for it. So we don't have the situation that there's a, um, th th there's a, a kind of connotation associated with it that you've kind of opted out of the path towards the FASA, that it actually becomes part of that path. And I think there's been fairly widespread um, support for that um, as an initiative. But earlier on, and this is where we've introduced the, um, the, the TASA um, uh, designation, um, which kind of replaced that previous diploma in actuarial techniques, but it's got the normative skills part of it. And then uh, alongside that, we have this issue still floating around um, of the, the CAA um, internationally and, um, and also whether we have a, um, a separate um, qualification in terms of the, um, um, the predictive analytics or some kind of data science qualification. So at this point we have not um, progressed these and it's interesting that actually I, I haven't heard much about the um, the CAA at all in the last, I mean this year, in fact, the, all the hype around that seems to, <laughs> seems to, have, um, seems to have diminished. Um, but I guess we need, to, we need to think about whether it causes um, confusion 
start introducing these things. And I think the pressure has certainly, when I was thinking about putting this all together, um, my sense is that the pressure has gone off on those things and that, um, and that in fact we should be focusing our energy on, um, on, on making sure that people are understanding how the, the TASA, the AMASA and the FASA fit in rather than confusing things with those. But I guess we've got a few, um, a few minutes to have just some high level discussion around this kind of structure of our qualification framework and the designations that we issue as part of that. So, um, so any, any thoughts on that as a question? Do we have enough? Is it too much? So, so, so for those that haven't heard my normal comment, I, I think we already have too many. I'd be surprised if many people around this table could actually distinguish properly between the four that we've got. And if we can't, how do we expect others to? Uh, I've never been a fan of the CAA. I mean, Clifford Friend was pushing it a lot in, in Berlin again, but I'm personally not a fan of it. And, and I just think that the the titles are confusing. CAA, Chartered Actuarial Analyst, sounds much better than being a TASA or an AMASA. Or a, so, so, so it's around the understandability of the various qualifications, designations. So. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Gary. No, I agree. I mean, I think it is, it is very confusing. Mike? And just to follow up from what Garrett said there, I think the feelings of the CAA, I think, are fairly widely held, oh. certainly around, around this table, and I certainly share them, but um, it hasn't gone that quite, unfortunately, on the CAA on the global stage, so we have taken the decision that we will we'll go along with it from the point of view, because a lot of, the, South Africa I think is the second biggest country with re people having registered for those exams, of and, and think after the UK and possibly India, so third after the UK of countries having registered, so we have signed an agreement with them and it's really from a point of view of wanting to know where the CIAs in South Africa are and we can manage that. Do we have a sense of who it is who's registering for that? Um, I haven't seen a recent listing but I've certainly seen there are quite a lot of people in, in quite a few of the large companies around this neighborhood there. There are quite a few consultancies, possibly more than insurers but is that and particularly now that the the SIA is on board with them. I think we're going to find that they're going to have a lot more money behind them than what mm. they've had up until now. So mm. I think it is one that is a genuine potential threat to the actuarial students, which is mm. why we've come with the, the TASA mm. designation. And that is one, as we've tried in recent communication to express, to make sure that it's understood that from a, an actuarial technical side, the TASA is a higher level qualification. The CIA is at a, a lower level, but you'd expect the CIA to have underwriting or accounting or IT skills with it as well. And the CIA is just sort of uh, to help them work effectively with actuaries is the, the perspective. So, I mean, the CIA name, I agree with what Garrett said yeah. in terms of where it is. I wish we, we could go back and change we, that. We I wish fought we had them on it when they first mentioned yeah. it in the IAA meetings in 2014. Mm but they already then registered and entrenched it and they haven't been open for discussion on that, so we've had to live with it. And that's why we've come with the TASA designation. It is, if CIA doesn't grow in footing, then TASA will probably never really be much. But if it does grow in footing, I think it's very important for the protection of our members to have yeah. that designation. Steve, did you want to? 
thanks. So my view, I think, has been reiterated. I think that the CAA will damage um, our profession uh, in, in the marketplace amongst those who don't know the difference between what a TASA is and what a CAA, because the natural assumption is that the CAA sounds far better. In fact, it sounds better than a fellow in some ways, um, because of the strong brand strength around chartered with a chartered accountant. Um, and um, I, I, I was a huge fan of, of getting a qualification at the TASA level, but I do worry that our names mean more to actuaries in-house than they mean to the public. And I think we still need to pursue some way of changing those designations so that the broader public will recognize the, the difficulty um, uh, and the, the work that went behind it, whereas at the moment uh, that's missing. Um, I've got lots of TASA still on my shelf in my office. Um, from when I was a student, they were transactions of the actual Society of South Africa. <laughs> uh, and that, that's part of the danger as well. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think all of our designations, um, in a sense, um, remain in-house mystique dis uh, definitions rather than broader public definitions. And I think if we are going to change anything, we need to find some way of having better, more publicly understood designations for our members. Not that we need more. Um, I think there are too many, but better names. Can I just clarify how you become a CAA? Just roughly. Like, what do you need? Is it the same exams or just less? Or? Okay, different exams at a different level. It's, it's a global body. It jumped in, yeah. It's a global body that, um, that, is, that is sort of a joint venture between now the SOA and the IFOA. It was the IFOA who started it originally, and then and now it's a joint venture, and they have the set of exams. And if, effectively what they're encouraging um, people to do is to kind of register for those exams, like they're an exam provider, almost like a university, and then they come to their local actuarial profession with their, now that they've passed the exams, and then we can award a designation which might include other skills or whatever. So that's... So I think there are a couple of things that we need to note here. The first one is that the CAA is a reality that is out there. It's a trademark name. We can't do anything about it. What we have to make sure is that we create within our community in South Africa an understanding of what it is and why our designations are better. Now, if we think that we should come up with better names than we have, then I think council will be very happy to hear those suggestions. In council, there was a significant discussion around we want to have something that stands out as higher than the, C the, the CAA, and TASA was what we came up with because every other thing was just as bad, if not worse. So if anybody's got a better idea, that would be fantastic. So then the other thing to note is that the UK is effectively rebranding their um, associateship level exam as a chartered actuary. So I think that we just need to recognize that I think that's going to give them a huge headache with having a chartered actuarial analyst and a chartered actuary out there as their designations. I think they've created a rod for their own back that is a problem. 
They're determined to go ahead with it from what we picked up when we spoke with them in Berlin. Even though their membership had given pushback, they are actually, what they were telling us is they found that their membership, when they've spoken to them about the theory of what they're trying to do, actually then changed their mind about being against the Chartered Actuary role. And, and it's fundamentally what they're trying to do is they're trying to create the uh, recognition of the associateship as effectively an, an equivalent entry-level thing to a chartered accountant or to a chartered lawyer because they're unable to attract those people that they want into the profession. They're still going to stick with the fellow as effectively the specialist. But essentially all they are doing with the chartered actuary is rebranding the associate and they're forcing it to become a scaffolding step. So just to be aware of that, that's the environment. So there could well be, in six months' time, a year's time, the chartered actuary out there being the UK equivalent of an, insur uh, of an associate, of an amassa, yeah. Um, okay, but before I wrap, okay, Andrew, I want to go to you, and then Leroy, I actually want to get your perspective as well. So I'm warning you before I put you on the spot. <laughs> I've had some engagement with my employer around around this. Um, I don't think and, he's giving it. And I think the yeah, I mean, I think in a multi-qualification universe, I think if we can position it, and I think do a bit of work with the employers, I think it's probably more important that we talk and market the different qualifications appropriately than maybe spend too much time trying to come up with the, the, the perfect names, especially because we've got, we've got names for them. Yeah. So I think it is understandable. I mean, I think uh, what I've used, and um, I think certainly my employer quite likely, I think are the sort of analogies with the medical profession where you talk about your fellow as your specialist doctor, your associate as your GP, and then your other ones as various types of paramedicals. And, uh, might be a different view about the CAA, but it's obviously uh, a bit... A bit First aid level one. Um, so, so I, think, I think, you know, I think a, multi, a multi-qualification universe is, is, is where the profession globally is emerging. You know, if you think about countries like Germany talking around going at least the associate fellow. So I think we will we'll see that direction globally in the actual profession. I think it's consistent with other professions. I think it's something we do need to to accept and mark to make sure that we position the ones appropriately. I think, you know, we, we know um, I've talked about CAA versus TAS. I think the one immediate thing where we were, I think TAS is a lot more appealing. I think this is probably going to be across across a lot of Africa, is that CAA is effectively a dead end because you actually have to, if you want to become an actuary, you know, you do well at CAA, you actually have to restudy really everything. There's no credits moving from CAA to to TASA because the subjects are done at a lower level, where at least TASA, you've got the option to continue. You know, yeah. You've got the credits as well. Yeah. And I think that's that's quite an important um, position as well. I mean, there may be some people CAA is appropriate for, but I think a lot of people that, that I've dealt with is sort of ambition to go as far as possible. I think TASA will be an easier grounding than that. Than, well, a, a, sorry, not easier, but a more substantive grounding than that. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think I hear what you're saying is that perhaps our action point from here is to be marketing these a lot better and marketing to the employers, not necessarily to the public. So it's a bit of both. Okay. Because I do want to get your perspective from the students. Yeah, um, so I think from a student's point of view, there's, there's uh, an inherent um, 
misunderstanding about ASA, MASA and FASA. And that has to change from employers and from qualified FASAs. <laughs> so that's education problem as well. That I think if we make it compulsory to be a MASA, then it's seen better as a stepping point to there. And if you're actually comfortable being a MASA, you can be a MASA yes. without being judged for being a MASA. Correct. And the same with TASA. So yes. Which is Exactly. Which is a big problem right now, I think, in understanding <laughs> the different levels to the, to the uh, uh, designations. And uh, I, I do believe that... Um, that we need to create appropriate analogies, as was mentioned, so that people understand it better in terms of it's a specialist or it's a doc, a GP, or you know, yeah. just that that those analogies aren't appropriate right now in the market, and it creates a lot of confusion and judgment from both sides. Yes, yes, yeah. So, so the the the, the thought I had, and I'm going to steal all my ideas from my panel later, but um, the. The one thing that I like, so, but I'm very strongly in support of this idea of the MASA becoming a, a, a normal stepping stone where you just get it as you progress through the exams. I think it makes a lot of sense. But what I like about it is um, it aligns quite nicely with the degree, degree structures as well. So if you do a BCom, so not all universities will have this, but for us, if you did a BCom, your ideal BCom could be a TESA. It's, 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 the, it's the candidate that finishes with a TESA that's the ideal candidate. And if you do a four-year degree, you should be a MESA except for the one-year experience, which is a kind of a nice way of positioning to our students as well, so, and, and to employers. You know, you're, you're looking, you, you, want, you want the top students, you're looking for the TESAs and the MESAs who are coming out of with, with those degrees, mm -hmm. and how close were you to, to those? So I think there's a marketing angle on that as well, of yeah. kind of positioning because the that degrees. That also addresses that point of the, conf of the confusion. Okay, mm -hmm. Steve, if you speak really fast. <laughs> I'll speak really fast. Uh, it's, it's not the, the TESA, MESA, FESA that I have a problem with, is what we call them. So if we call a fellow actuary and, we, yeah, and we've got the um, associate, but maybe for the public we need to have something like a technical actuary, general actuary, and specialist or actuary. Or a technical, yeah. So I mean, that, uh, well, but, but actuary, well, that's, I mean, that's where it comes. The A is an actuarial specialist. It's not an yeah, actuary. But we need to, but, but we, well, maybe we're going to find that under our feet that it becomes an actuary mm. very quickly. Um, but the point is, if we don't establish that link to what it means, we're going to win the battle inside our traditional employers, but we're not going to win the battle in the broader yeah. marketplace. Yeah. And I think that's where we have to think, do our thinking is, what do we link, how do we market what that means and get it out there before the institute and faculty or someone else undermines us again? <laughs> Okay, well on that note, I think that's a very helpful um, discussion in terms of, of, of taking the, this, um, this forward. And, um, and also, I guess, in terms of making sure that we are also all on the, on the same page in terms of what the intentions are.